Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to an all-new edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Friday, June 12th edition of Flyers Daily. And now the countdown is on as the Philadelphia Flyers, the NHL, has set a date for Phase 3 protocol. Let me tell you first, this podcast brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. In just a couple minutes, we're going to hear from Flyers Assistant General Manager Brent Flair. And then also Bill Meltzer will join us in the second half of this episode. A lot to discuss, a lot of news coming out of the NHL, a lot of work still to be done. But as I mentioned, the NHL and NHLPA uh, did agree on a date uh, for Phase 3 to begin. The 24 teams will resuming uh, their training camps coming up on Friday, July 10th, provided that medical and safety conditions allow and the parties have reached an overall agreement on resuming play. The length of training camp and therefore the start date of the formal resumption of play, Phase 4, will be determined at a future date. There's a lot of elements that still need to be worked out. We'll talk about all that with Bill Meltzer. From what uh, I'm seeing reported right now, uh, training camp would basically be two weeks. So say June 10th, uh, go all the 14 days from there to uh, the 24th. And then six days in the hub city, wherever that may be. The NHL still has to determine the hub cities. Six days there. And in those six days, uh, each team would play two exhibition games before they get to, in the Flyers' case, the round-robin games or the the play-in round games uh, for the teams that are in that situation. So still a lot to be determined, and we'll go through all that with Bill Meltzer coming up. But had a chance to catch up with Flyers' assistant general manager, Brent Flair. A little update on all the Flyers' prospects, how he's been handling this COVID-19 and uh, draft and preparing for that as well. A lot of elements here with Brent Flair. Here's my conversation. Happy to have join us here on Flyers Daily as uh, the NHL is in phase two and uh, we get some direction on when the draft will be and uh, a good time to look at the Flyers farm system prospects and everything else. Flyers assistant GM Brent Flair joins us right now. Brent, how are you? Good, good. Yeah, I know things are, uh, you know, there's some light at the end of the tunnel, so that's, uh, that's exciting. Yeah, you know, one of the things about this whole process and your position and, and the job that you perform as an assistant GM and head up scouting and everything has been something that's been talked about because you know a lot of times you like to get eyes on guys in person that, that was limited at the end of the year and the interview process obviously the NHL scouting combine uh, all those things you're conducting a lot of business over zoom how, how much uh, has it changed kind of the way you look at players and do you lean in certain directions maybe analytically uh, a little bit more in, in a situation like this well, it's certainly unique. Uh, obviously, our, our staff, our scouts, and have had a lot of spare time, and uh, especially early on, where you know we've we've watched a ton of video. Uh, guys have done their homework as far as the Zoom calls with their their players and interviews, and we'll we'll follow up uh, maybe in group settings uh, as we get closer to the draft when we know what it is. But um, yeah, no, we've done uh, our own Zoom calls and conference calls, probably uh, uh, probably too many of them just to kind of. <laughs> keep going but uh yeah it is what it is everybody's in the same uh same situation so we're just doing the best we can and using all the information we can whether it's the analytics department or uh, obviously our scouting staff and and then all the video coverage that we've been adding as well so uh, yeah we've you know we've done our uh, overall list uh, obviously we'll continue to tweak it as we get closer um, before we get to some specific players I want to ask you about in your, in your system, um, I want to talk about you real quick and your career. Uh, you work with Brian Burke. What was that like <laughs> uh, with Anaheim? Yeah, that had no, to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was in uh, Anaheim with Berkey and, and came in. And I know Berkey was was good, obviously. Uh, he's we, we won a cup there, which was exciting. And uh, But he was, you know, as far, as far as us, he let everybody do their jobs and Obviously, we had some success, and you know, he he came in at a good time too. When uh, obviously Brian Murray uh, left to go to Ottawa to coach, and uh, we had you know a lot of things were in place, but Berkey came in and made the pronger trade and did a couple things, and obviously uh, we had some success there. So um, yeah, no, he's you know he is what he is <laughs> as far yeah. as personality and some of it's for show, but yeah, he's, he was good to me. Yeah, and he's an iron iron sharpens iron guy. I love guys like that that aren't afraid to be challenged, and I think that's important. But uh, let's talk about you. You've been with Chuck Fletcher for a number of years. Um, very intelligent man, Chuck Fletcher, Harvard guy. Uh, why does this relationship between you and he work so well? Because uh, you guys have been, you know, kind of joined at the hip for for a long time now, and you need that cohesion yeah. within an assistant GM, GM. You need, the whole organization needs cohesion. You saw that in Anaheim. 
to get success, to have that ultimate success. Why, why does it work so well with you and Chuck? Well, I think we've, you know, we've come up, uh, up together for a long time. Uh, obviously, we're close friends to, to start, but uh, Brian Murray, who we worked under for a long time um, in a couple different spots, you know, is a great teacher. And I think we've we both learned a lot from him and how he treated people and manage people and manage the game. And um, so I think we see the game uh, similar. Obviously the game's evolved in, in a lot of different areas, but um, yeah, we have a good working relationship. I think I help in, in keeping him calm and uh, in certain situations. And he uh, obviously he's a bright guy and uh, just challenges people and, and myself and uh, makes you think. And um, yeah, I just think we complement each other really well. And, Obviously, we get along well, so it's uh, that's half the battle. Obviously, there's the hockey industry; it's uh, tumultuous, and there's some uh, lots of ups and downs. And you just kind of have to keep uh, even keeled and just keep plugging away. Yeah, it's the old saying: winning is everything. Um, let me ask you real quick about how you evaluate the goaltender position. Everybody knows that listens to this knows that I'm a goalie nerd, um, but I, I'm always so curious about how you know GMs, assistant GMs, talent evaluators, scouts how they evaluate that position in particular, because it's such a difficult one to project out. What's kind of your philosophy when it comes to that position? I know you got a good one right now in Carter Hart, uh, Felix Sanchman, you got a couple other in the system, uh, but w- what do you look at when, when you're trying to project out goalies at such a young age? Yeah, I know it's, it's a challenge and I think it's a, it's a thing that's evolving. I think goaltending position might be the hardest to project just because you're drafting 17, 18 year old kids. Um, that you know obviously the elite of the elite the carry prices and Vasilevskis and some of these guys that were uh, you know probably easier to to project and then you but you look at the the goalies that are in the NHL and the top goalies not, not a lot of a lot of guys that are high picks you know they're guys that take time to develop and uh, so you're looking for different traits obviously you're looking for athleticism you're looking for structure position but those are things that can improve as far as structure so you're looking for competitiveness you're looking for uh, hockey sense which is tracking pucks and understanding the game and where it's shots are coming from and and timing but uh obviously it's, you know these goalies uh there's a lot to learn obviously in mental capacity handling pressure and in big moments is is as important as anything so uh it's again it's not a perfect science when you're drafting goaltending um but you know you look for certain traits and we rely on our our uh, goaltending guys within the organization to to really uh you know, watch video and put in the time with these guys, and and uh, they certainly help us out with it. Brent, when when you're looking at players and skaters now, defensemen, forwards, wingers, centers, um, to project out what they're going to be at the NHL level, you see some guys, you know, at in junior, whether they're in the Q or the WHL, whatever, um, they light it up and they score like crazy. But can, can you almost see players that well, they're great scorers at that level, but they may not translate to a score at the NHL level. So when we're molding this player, we want to mold them in the direction of being more of a 200 foot player, because that's just not what they're probably going to be at the NHL level. Yeah, no, there's, uh, you know, we, we're, we're different than like the NFL. A lot of their players are, are uh, almost finished products and they're stepping into to play the following year. We're drafting young kids that are a lot of times three, four years away from playing. And uh, when we're drafting kids, some kids are, you know, we have a lot of different uh, levels of maturity, both physically and mentally. So, you know, we're looking for guys that, you know, two, three down the, years down the road that are going to be able to be quality NHL players or what, that we hope. Uh, so you're going to see some guys, you know, early on that are, uh, you know, more finished products. But as you get, you know, maybe a little later in the draft or later in the first round, even you're you're drafting guys that may not have all the tools in place right now, but you project that they will. Uh, some kids mature uh, are matured out at a at a young age, and uh, there might be a ceiling as far as their development. Meanwhile, a player that uh, um, you know has the hockey sense and the skill and the competitiveness, but just is physically just undeveloped at this point. So, those are the things that we we look at uh, you know a lot. And these are strength people. And the NHL Combine is where it's a huge value just to see where some of these players are at. Um, and we put all that information together and then you put your list together. So obviously we, we want the best player we can get uh, in a couple of years. And, and when you're projecting a lot like we do, there's, it's not a perfect science, but we, with all the information we gather and obviously we're, we're getting more and more, uh, you know, in the modern day than we had 20 years ago. So, uh, you know, it's, 
it's uh, definitely a lot more confident when you're going out for draft day now. It's very interesting with the Philadelphia Flyers. You have such a, an interesting dynamic with the team. You have some stars on the team that are north of 30. You have a good young defense core kind of coming into the NHL staggered. Um, and you got to kind of figure out where these other pieces fit because you need to have guys on entry-level contracts as guys start to get paid and uh, as they get better and better and, and get that big payday. So all that goes into the equation. But let me ask you about Jay O'Brien because what an interesting path it's been for Jay since he was drafted. Um, he ends up this year in the BCHL, didn't have a great year in Providence, just never felt comfortable. Uh, going to be going back to the NCAA route this fall. What have you seen out of Jay? He's a late birthday too, this November 4th birthday. If you look at the NHL draft, I did a little study on this. Like the first people born, uh, born in the fir first six months of the year are, are so far ahead of guys that are late birthdays, aren't they? Yeah, no, there's, you know, there's some outliers there, but you know, he was a guy that you know, had some physical challenges as far as injuries and whatnot this year. Obviously, I think it was real tough on him. So I think to go back uh, to Penticton this year to you know, and really you know, have some success offensively and, and play a, a ton of minutes. And really, I think he really enjoyed himself, enjoyed the game, and I think the pressure was off a little bit. So I think coming into this year, he's a little uh, more mature um, on and off the ice and coming into Boston University this year. Hopefully, he's a, a step ahead and, and ready to contribute right away. And I know that's what they're expecting. So you know, any, any player that comes right out of high school into uh, – in college hockey and the top programs it's it's a big jump a lot of these guys have been the best player on their teams all the way coming up through minor hockey um, but it's a whole different level especially when you skip the ushl or skip the uh, tier two junior and um, it's a big jump and it's not an easy transition for a lot of people yeah no question about that um uh, when the pause happened you guys got busy you signed a bunch of players a bunch of your players and prospects out of the college ranks uh, i want to hit you on a couple of these guys also from everett let's start there with wyatt wiley uh the defenseman played the whl with the Everett silver tips uh you get him signed to his elc what have you seen in his curve um he was ahl eligible this year but uh when you guys reassigned him to everett what have you seen in his uh dynamic um kind of uh you know the, the way he kind of got adjusted this year and is ready for the AHL next year. Yeah, well, first of all, if, if you get to know the kid, he's, he's a great kid. Uh, just loves the game. Uh, he's from, he's right from Everett, Washington. Uh, you know, it's not a traditional hockey market uh, as far as you know, growing up playing there. So, I don't think he had the he didn't play at a high level in minor hockey coming up, and he just kind of got clawed his way through the through the process, and then even in junior, like he was a bit of a late starter there and, and just kept getting better and better. So I, I think we made, uh, you know, we could have turned him pro this year. I think consciously, I think we, you know, another year of playing, being the guy, playing big minutes um, and just working on his game was, was best for him rather than trying to swim at the American League level. So I think uh, we made the right decision. I think he understands it now and he's going to be that much better, that much stronger and more mature coming into the American Hockey League next year. So uh, I think he's rounded out his game, uh, both offensively and defensively. Obviously, had point production. I, I project him more as a, a defensive, defensive puck mover. Uh, obviously, he likes to get up and do some things as well. But um, you know, he's a guy that's I think he's just tipping the iceberg. And, and we'll, but he's got tremendous work ethic, a great kid, and loves to play the game. So uh, he's an interesting project for us going forward. Uh, a couple of the other players you signed, Tanner Lasinski at Ohio State and also uh, Wade Allison at Western Michigan, uh, two guys that both played four years, um, uh, you know, fighting off some injuries for, for a guy like uh, Wade Allison. But what do you see out of those two players? Can, can Wade Allison jump in next year and maybe make this hockey club? Uh, potentially, yeah. We're, we're talking about two guys here that are a little older. Obviously, yep. Lashinsky played all four years, Allison three. But um, both guys are physically more mature. You know, they're not 19 years old coming in at a – junior hockey um obviously Allison battled some injuries here the last couple of years and um but you know Tanner's a guy that's you know in Ohio State he was the guy and played all situations offensively defensively he's a real hard working kid and um you know he's a guy that can come in and surprise obviously our uh, AV and our coaching staff aren't as familiar with him because he wasn't at a development camp last year but uh you know we've told him uh, he's aware of what what he brings and you know he's a guy that I think that could certainly challenge uh just because of his versatility. I think he can play center wing, uh, brings a lot of different things to the table. And, and Wade as well, He's a, obviously he's a big horse of a kid, strong skater, big shot, goes to the hard areas, got a power game, which uh, is a huge value. And, and we'll have to evaluate that when we get to camp next year, see where they're at and see what, you know, if they're ready, that's great. If they're not, uh, what's best for them to become the best player they can be. And we'll figure that out. But again, both guys, I think will come in here and 
I hope they come with the mindset of trying to make the team and, and putting their best foot forward. Lena Sandine is another guy that uh, you signed. Um, he's a good friend of Robert Hague's. Had a chance to talk to Robert right around that time. Um, he's known him his whole life. They, they grew up in the same little town. Uh, what do you expect out of Linus? Yeah, he's a guy, Joking Grumberger, our scout, has is, is known him as well uh, for a long time. And he's a guy that's just, you know, he's a young guy. He was obviously skinnier and uh, wasn't a great skater. And he's just kind of gradually just gotten better and better every year. Um, you know, now he's 24 years old and, you know, he's had a couple of real good years in the elite league over there. And, and now he's ready to come over and, and try his best to, to become an NHL player. So competitive, he can shoot it. He can do a lot of, got some grease to him. And, um, you know, he's, he's again, he's another guy that's 24, not 19. So he's coming here. He's willing to put in the time if he has to play in the American League. But, uh, you know, he wants to be an NHL player and hopefully uh, he can find a role at some point. Uh, let me ask you about German Rupsev, because he's a guy, he's really kind of fought off some injuries as well uh, this past season, uh, played 42 games in, for the Phantoms this year. Where is he right now? Um, you know, he, he's he's now been pro for a few years. Where's his development? Uh, what does he need to get better at? Well, it's he's had two tough years. Uh, yeah. he won his first year pro, it's playing 14 games and uh, the injury and then injured again last year off and on. And I think it's uh, real frustrated, but... Um, you know, for, obviously the biggest thing for him is one staying, getting healthy, stronger. I think a uh, real intelligent player. I think our coaches, even you saw him in the preseason last year, very reliable, uh, safe uh, guy that our coach trusts when he's on the ice and defensively. Uh, for him, it's just the, the pace of the game, obviously getting stronger. And part of his strength, you know, when you have those type of injuries, you miss your uh, working out in the summer and being able to do to, to get the stronger and do the things he needs to do but uh, for him he's a cerebral player I think he has the skill to generate offense and I think last year's a real frustrating year for him just because he you know was re-injured again early and then it was nagging I think a lot of you know they had a couple other things going on there as well so but again he's a guy that you know we have high hopes for and honestly he's only played uh, what is it 56 games total pro hockey so he's almost still like a rookie so we uh, you know he's a guy we've got to be patient with and help him along here. Uh, another guy I know you're really excited about, uh, you took him in the 2019 draft in the first round is Cam York, played at Michigan last year. Michigan didn't have a great start to the season, but Cam and, and his elite skating is something that it's just, it, it's frankly, it's beautiful to watch. He's got a great stride, very good hockey sense. Uh, where is he right now? I know he's going back to the University of Michigan, probably wants to make that jump the year after. What are you seeing out of his game? Well, he's just a just one of those guys that makes the game look easy. That's what the, I know our scouts early on said that just one of those with his mobility, just his reads, um, never seems to be in a hurry. And he just, just retrievals, whether it's moving the puck, getting involved offensively. He's just such a smart player and a confident kid. Uh, physically, he's got a little ways to go, uh, which is why he's in, in college hockey. And he's, uh, I think he's in a good program there to, to really help him. Uh, I think currently he's in California, I think, at home um, training. And then he'll head out to Michigan here probably by the end of the month, which I think most of their kids spend on campus and train and, and uh, get up to speed. I don't know if he can take classes or not with the, what's going on. But, uh, you know, for him, I think it's just getting stronger. Uh, obviously, he'll, he'll have a, he had a big role as a freshman last year. He'll have a huge role next year. And then we'll see where he's at and, uh, mentally, physically, and, and we'll see after next year. But, again, he's a tremendous upside and a guy that, you know, should transition pretty, pretty easily into the NHL, we hope. Brent, when even, you know, in squirt, Mike, peewee hockey, all the way through, it's all about skating. Everybody says, what can you work on when you got time? Skating. <laughs> you know, you edge work, skating all the time. The game is about skating. Um, Cam York's a guy that is a flawless skater. Bobby Brink's a guy who's got a, a bizarre stride. Um, and, but he's a guy that is very effective in the way he plays games, knows where to go, played at the University of Denver last year, is a goal scorer. How does he uh, kind of his development looking at Bobby Brink? He played the number one power play at World Juniors last year. Um, he's a guy that can really deliver. Uh, where do you see him right now? Uh, he's he's another guy who's just, I like, I just love watching him play. Uh, Fascinating, I've, I've watched, isn't it? Had, <laughs> yeah, I've come, you know, coming from Minnesota, I got to see him play as a, you know, freshman in high school and sophomore. And, uh, you know, I, thought maybe at his size it'd be the USHL would be a challenge and he dominated um, 
when you pick his game apart, he's a different skater. People question it, but he's different. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's skating. Even as coaches at Denver say he's watching when he has a chance to get a break or get first puck. He's always gets there. You know, he gets the chance, but he's so smart away from the puck, so smart with it. Um, small area hockey and things like that. He's just, he, you know, very, very intelligent. Uh, makes people around him better. He can score. He can make plays. He, he's tremendous work ethic and competitiveness. Um, just one of those guys you kind of gravitate to the more you watch. And, um, you know, we, we're real excited. He's a, he's a kid that just comes to the rink, big smile. He looks like he's 12 years old, but he's got the big smile on. Just loves <laughs> to play the game. And he's a rink rat um, and a guy that, you know, I think is just going to get better and better. And, and Denver's done a great job with a, a lot of hockey players over the years. And, you know, he's in a good spot when he's going to have a big role and we'll see where he's at again at the end of the year. And there's no rush, but at the same time, he's a guy we're, we're very excited about and should have a big role on the U S world junior team again. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, the thing with Bobby too is, is he's got a signature style, you know, when he's carrying the puck and his burst and in, in stops and starts doesn't, I mean, he looks great in the, like you alluded to, you know, if he's got a chance to pick a breakaway, he's going to get there. Um, one of the guys that really opened a lot of people's eyes last year at the World Juniors uh, for Team Russia was uh, Igor Zamula. Uh, I know he's dealing with some injuries as well. Uh, big body, though. Where is Zamula? Uh, he's in, uh, you know, we'll get him back here as soon as we can for for continuous rehab. He had back surgery right after the World Junior. Played with a fracture in his back during the World Juniors, ironically. Ooh, and tough. It still was tremendous. Um but a great kid, obviously a tremendous signing. Um, he was a kid, even you know, his draft year, and um, he was a good player even his draft year. He's just so skinny, uh, but he's a guy that's put in the time, put in the work. Um, you know, he's slowly putting on weight and getting stronger. But a, just a real smart player. Very, you know, obviously he's got the big size. It's going to take a couple of years to get some beef on him, but uh, with the puck, very intelligent, moving it. Uh, to, very good defender. Uh, skating is really common. Uh, I know he opened a lot of eyes in the preseason last year in, in training camp, and I uh, played you know well beyond his years. So again, a guy that uh, was a great signing by uh, the group before, that was before I got here, and uh, Mark Craig and, and the staff there, the, just a great find. So I think he's a guy that projects out to be a, a quality NHL player, and we've got to be patient, make sure he's healthy, and, and make sure we bring him along the right way. If you're going to be big in this league now, you got to be able to move. Uh, Isaac Ratcliffe is a guy that can do that at 6'6". He's a big guy. Um, his development's been pretty good. You guys have to be pretty satisfied with where he is taken back in 2017 in the second round. Um, is he a guy that's getting closer to, to challenging for a spot at the NHL level, maybe another year away? Yeah, I think he, you know, I think he had, uh, and I think we could have told you this was going to happen. He came in last season after tremendous year in Guelph the year before I think he came in obviously very confident um but it was a challenge uh the American Hockey League obviously the NHL camp and, you know he got away with a lot of things in the junior level because of his size and skill set that was just easy for him um then when you get up against men uh, guys are stronger uh he had to learn to move his feet he had to learn to stay on the skates and battles he learned to protect the puck and a lot of little things that he just never had to really think about before so I think last year, especially the first half, uh, it was a grind for him. Uh, there were some ups and downs, and it was a challenge, but I think Gordo brought him along, used him on the PK more than power play, and just learning little things as far as battles and moving his feet and getting up to speed. And uh, one thing with him is he, he puts in the time. Uh, he is a gym rat. Uh, he's, he's a guy that's, you know, with his size at 6'6", it's not just his uh, frame. It's going to take a little time to put on, but he's a guy that's always scored. Uh, he's got the good hands for a big man. He knows his way around the offensive zone and around the net and just rounding out his game. But by the second half, and especially right before the, the stoppage, uh, he was really starting to come, which is exciting. And I think he, he understands it now. He's a lot more confident, you know, just in his game and where he can be. So I expect big things for him, and whether it's another year or two, um, you know, I think he's on the right path to being a good player for us. Yeah, it's all about those little details that at the junior level, you can get away with that stuff. When you're playing with the best players in the world and men, you're not going to get away with that. Last player I want to ask you about is Morgan Frost. Um, uh, he got a taste last year in the NHL. Uh, Morgan's a dynamic talent, a great kid. Um, and, and he, you know, he's a gifted player. Sometimes for gifted players, it's, it's hard to kind of be going up and back. But uh, Morgan Frost is, is, has really done a good job mentally keeping his head where it needs to be, hasn't he? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I, 
I think my wife can go out there and figure out that he's a skilled kid. Like he's yeah. a tremendous talent with his, you know, hands, his mobility, his vision. Um, you know, a lot of things he can do with the puck. Uh, most people can't. So uh, at the same time, he's a guy, another guy you could say, like Radcliffe, he came from the junior level where the game was really easy for him, especially the last year. I don't think, uh, I think he made some bad habits crept in. Uh, but, you know, he had tremendous success and he was scoring and doing all the things. And that's natural for all these kids. So I think coming in, uh, while he showed well in certain situations, he understood quickly when you're getting up in training camp and you're going against Drew and Voracek and Couturier. And he's like, oh, I got, I got a little work to do yet. So, mm-hmm. But I think he, you know, I think he learned, obviously, all these guys come into camp and they want to make, play in the NHL right away. And I think there was some initial disappointment, but I think he went down and, I think he realized it's American League's a it's a grind, it's a tough league, and uh, but at the same time he he had success and he was generating offense, and at the same time he was rounding out his game and um, just you know a lot of little things, battles, and learning to protect pucks and situations and manage the game on the defensive side of things. And uh, but I think you know if you looked at his game from the start to uh, the second half, and even when he got his you know taste in the NHL a couple of times, that he you know his game starting to come. So he's a guy that. Um, could really surprise you uh, here next year or if he needs a little more time great but you know with his skill set talent level I think uh, we're confident he's going to get there yeah when you're playing in the OHL and you put up 112 points in 67 games and then 109 in 58 games um, some bad habits will creep in those things will happen when you dominate yeah you don't do that level. you don't do that by accident but at the same time I yeah. I understand junior teams allowing that to happen he's you know they're not going to you know, I think coaches hold him accountable a little bit, but they want to make sure he's scoring and helping them win, and uh, which is great. And at the same time, you, you know, this the freedom to create, do things, also help him, uh, make him what he is. And just, you know, just the details in the NHL game where you have to be and to play against a, a Malkin and all these guys, the Crosbys. When you're out in the ice, it's a it's a big eye opener for these kids. And I know, I know all the fans and all the scouts and they want them to be able to play right away, but you want to put these guys in position to succeed against the top players in the world and, and he'll get there. Yeah. For a long time, he and Joel Farabee kind of linked together. And both of those guys are very NHL, what the NHL is today players, aren't they? Yeah. Well, you look at Joel and he's, you know, you talk about a kid that looks 15. Um, you know, he came into camp last year and, you know, I think our coaches are like, Oh, he was just a boy, but you get him. And you talk about a kid, his details were outstanding for a young player uh, off the charts as far as, uh, knowing where to be on the ice, and details, and managing the game, managing the puck, and he's a guy you know could play right away. And uh, coaches trust him, players want to play with him, um, and he's you know he's got a long ways to go physically still, which is exciting because I think he's can you know has a chance to be a great player for us going forward. And he's competitive in his hockey sense, skill. He's got a lot of tools and uh, he's got some jam. We don't we don't need him to be fighting as much as he did last year <laughs> probably. Yeah. So we get it's a few more few more pounds on, but just the fire that he has is, is exciting. Yeah, when AV's using a guy uh, that young, late in games with a one-goal lead um, and, and trusting him defensively, you know there's a lot of trust there. And the other part that I really noticed in his game is he knows where to go in the offensive zone and not afraid to go to the house in the dirty areas. And it's not that you have to tell him to go there. It's instinctual. He knows where to be. It's, it's really – it's going to be an exciting group to watch come up uh, with him and Morgan Frost and a lot of these other players we just talked about. Brett, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's been uh, crazy for you guys. Did you, did you and Chuck uh, breathe a huge sigh of relief when they decided to do the draft after the playoffs? <laughs> well, I think it's probably the fairest way. Um, I think we were fine either, uh, just where we're picking. It probably um, would have impacted a lot of other teams, uh, better or worse <laughs> than us. So, uh, but yeah, I think it's probably the right thing to do um, once you get through. Obviously, the draft lottery, the way they're doing is is interesting, but I think it's fair. And then having the draft after, there's no rush. Obviously, the, there's no one going to be able to play before that. I know it's probably frustrating for players and uh, the young players that are being drafted, and even for our scouts. <laughs> you know, if we don't have the draft until November, or I don't know where it is, October, who knows? But you know, we may have to rescout it a little bit at the start if the junior league started up, but. Uh, there's challenges, but anyway, our, our guys will be ready. We'll be fine. Yep. And, and it's the situation that you and every other team's in. So it's a level playing field, if hey, you will. Exactly. Hey, Brent, I appreciate the time today. Best of luck. Uh, can't wait for this game to get back on the ice. Everybody's chomping. Everybody's excited. And for good reason, you guys are doing great work. The organization's in a very good place both now and going forward. We appreciate you taking the time here on Flyers Daily. 
All right, anytime. Thanks again. Special thanks to Assistant General Manager Brent Flair for joining us on uh, Flyers Daily and giving us a lot of time there. Really, there's a lot of guys in the Flyers farm system right now. They keep producing so much talent and so much intriguing talent uh, in various stages of their development. And we'll continue to monitor it. Uh, the Flyers uh, in, in a really good situation from a health standpoint as a franchise. Uh, a lot of guys already here that were drafted in the last couple of years. Guys like Travis Konechny, who was an all-star. Ivan Provorov, who's a top-pairing defender. Carter Hart. Uh, we saw Joel Farabee this year. A little bit of Morgan Frost. But uh, there's still more guys even coming, still developing and ready to make their jump to pro hockey, whether that's the AHL or right to the NHL. We'll see how it plays out for them. Before we get to Bill Meltzer, let me tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Hey, Philly fans, grab a cold Yingling and elevate your taste because this is just as in a beer. Nah, it's a lager. It's time to spread your wings, Yingling Traditional Lager. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Yingling Beer. And joining us right now, you've seen his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, HockeyBuzz.com. All-around good guy. And he joins us right now on Flyers Daily, Bill Meltzer. Billy, how are you? I am doing great. You know, we all needed some some good news with all the, uh, you know, not-so-good news going on all around us. And we got some today. It's uh, really nice to have a, a date associated with when NHL camps are going to start. Yeah, Bill, to me... When I saw the email come out from uh, the league today announcing, uh, and I read it off the hop here of the show, uh, that July 10th would be phase three, and that's when teams would report for mandatory training camp. All of a sudden, it felt real. I feel like now I'm counting down to something, and it feels like, yeah, they really are going to come back. Like, there's going to be hockey. There's going to be sports. There's going to be life after coronavirus. Yeah, you know, for the the longest time, and we're still, you know, listen, we're still a long way before any games. It could be, you know, we're probably looking at, at August for games, so it's almost two months. But at least, uh, you know, but at least we can we can count down to camp, and it's it's you know, it, it almost it it really does almost feel like a second season at this point. But mm-hmm. it, it's, um, you know, it's uh, yeah, like I said it, it it's really nice after after coronavirus and it, and all this all this period of time where everything was just so open-ended and, and saying if i mean there's still listen a lot of logistics to work out for, for phase four and the testing protocols and the hub cities and you know all, all the things that get to the finish line here and then you know hopefully all goes well once they they move into phase four but you know today really does feel like you know a, a little bit of a milestone was hit yeah i agree with you the last flyers game uh, at our time of taping on thursday night is 92 days ago 21 hours and 35 minutes ago that's how long it's been without NHL hockey and sports in general. And now the countdown, just 28 days, four weeks until the teams will report for camp. Bill, I got to hit you with this because, um, you know, one of the things that has been really kind of shocking to me is when you look at the NHL and Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and, and their staff, and then you look at the Players Union and, and Donald Fear, and there's been so many years of acrimony and a lot of resentment that built up over the years. But the way with which they've handled this together has been really impressive to me. And it looks like one of the things they're going to try and do is come out with a framework of at least a framework of a CBA here. But I got to say that they all work towards the same goal and did it extremely well. I I completely agree. I think they work cooperatively here. They knew what was, you know, in everybody's best interest to, to work towards uh, there were there was a lot of transparency too as they were going through the process. I mean, you know, a, a big part of CBA negotiations, I guess, by necessity to a large degree, although things do leak out. You know, it, it's a very opaque process, and you, it's hard to separate what's real from, you know, from what's rumor. And, and as they were actually going through the process, I mean, I, I felt like, uh, you know, I, I felt like both sides—the return to play committee, the league, the NHLPA. You know, they they were pretty good about keeping um, keeping us all in the loop as to where they were in the process. Um, you know, and I mean, it's it's just ongoing to get to the finish line here. But hopefully that that does create some momentum towards, as, as we've discussed in, in Pat's podcast, including one earlier this week. You know, that's that's what's really needed for the the long term stability of the league to have uh, to have labor peace for a, you know, a long period of time. It's after all this after all the stoppages not just this current one, but the, the, you know, the half season loss of, you know, back in 2012 in the 2013 and the whole year loss in 2004 or five, you know, they really, they really need stability for the long haul. So hopefully, uh, 
hopefully this is a step towards that. I know that's, uh, you know, a lot of work between now and then to get it done, but hopefully it's, uh, you know, opening, opening a, a new chapter be, to be able to work together better than they have in the past. Yeah. Seeing uh, some of Chris Johnson's reporting on um, uh, Sportsnet, um, here's his kind of to-do checklist for the NHL. They got to get clarity once uh, from the Canadian government because about the 14-day quarantine period, and it looks like there's going to be the Canadian government and the governments are going to be working together to see if players can, A, quarantine as a group, and also include the rink in their quarantine. Um, and that really will open the door for the NHL to use a Canadian market, whether that's Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary. Um, you know, they would love to put it in Toronto, especially if they are really kind of resolute on having it in Vegas, which uh, they could be. Um, so they got to do that. They got to finalize these two hub cities as we get closer. The NHL will do that. But um, not necessarily reach agreement on the collective bargaining, but when the players vote on this, they're going to vote on it as a whole. And they're going to want to know, right, Bill, that uh, what the economic situation is, not really just for this year, but really going forward. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we're, we're looking at, you know, we're, we're hearing it'll be a, a flat cap, but, you know, with a, with a high degree of escrow. And that's a major issue with the players. And they, they, they want some financial certainty themselves, too. You know, uh, the, the escrow piece is, is, is huge. I mean, that, that is the player's number one issue on their side. So you know, what they're to come back and play and finish this year, you know, I mean, it will generate some of the revenues that, uh, you know, they're not going to make everything back. It's not going to be what it, what it could have been, uh, what it was, you know, seemingly on track to be, even, even if it is a flat cap next year though, that's, uh, that's a bit of a win. Um, just because a lot of teams have a lot of money tied up in the next season. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that being able to finish the season, both from the player side and also from the team ownership side, uh, it's a, it's a really important thing that, to get done from a business standpoint as well as you know the uh, the hockey aspect of awarding a Stanley Cup after the season went went as far as it did. Yeah, no doubt about it. Obviously, the, the other part they got to figure out is phase three and phase four protocol testing, all the absolute particulars of that as players right now. Uh, are trickling into facilities all over North America to, for phase two unofficial workouts. Um, and some Flyers players in saw a picture today of Jake Voracek, Sean Couturier, and Claude Giroux. Um, uh, seeing, you know, Ivan Provorov, who never leaves the ice anyway, but, um, you know, seeing players all over the league start to, to get into their home cities and, and start skating is, is great news. And, and now that you have a deadline, I think we're going to see players now really start to head back. And now that they know the exact time um but bill one, one of the things too with the, the, the league coming back by on july 10th presumably barring any change is now we also get a timeline for training camp which from what i'm hearing is going to be a two-week camp at your home facility and then six days in your hub city and in that hub city situation um uh, you'll play your two exhibition games as well so that puts a, a, a puck drop on this expanded playoff field around august 1st july 31st august 1st and they said it's going to, it's slated to run tops 68 days. So that takes us to about August or October 6th. So maybe we're not in such a bad situation to start the next season uh, past maybe the first couple of weeks of December. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, that, that would be about right. It would be a little, you know, for the team that wins the cup, it's, a, it's going to be a short off season. Other teams, of course, will be done a lot earlier. Actually, you know, uh, Think about the teams that uh, finished up in March. I mean, they'll have been away a long, long, long time, right? So, uh, you know, uh, I they'll. I mean, I know they have the uh, the draft lottery coming up this month, and then, you know, and there should be some announcement as to when they're once they've announced stage once they announce phase four, when the draft will be, and when free agency will start, and then we'll have a I think a clearer picture as to what the the timetable will be to get teams into camp for next season. But certainly, uh, certainly a December start seems seems realistic with that kind of a timetable. Yeah, that, I mean that's to me the the notion of starting your season with your signature event on January first, and having the variable of not knowing if if you're going to be able to hold that line based on a second wave and not have fans if you're having a a winter classic. Um, if you're not going to have fans, you got to push the Winter Classic. <laughs> the Winter Classic is is one of those ones where you don't have it without fans, in my opinion. No, it, it, it you know I, I think the Winter Classic is is designed to be in a you know big outdoor stadium and 
you know, have the stands packed. That's part of the, the ambiance of it all. And hopefully you get the, you know, the, the winter weather too certainly adds to that whole atmosphere. So yeah, I, I don't think you could, I don't think a winter classic, especially because the, the expenses involved in converting the stadium over for hockey, you need a packed house as well as the TV audience. I, I don't think there would be a, there would be a, a winter classic or any stadium series kind of games. If you know, you're not able to, to fill the buildings. Bill, um, I, I, I gotta ask you this question because it's one that I've been, I've been pondering um, and, and it kind of gets stuck in my crawl because especially for the goaltending position and talk to Brent Flair about it, about, you know, kind of scouting goaltenders and the, predicting what they're going to be in their career as they age up and, and mature. Um, but also coming out of this very unique situation, um, when you come back, you get, they're going to, looks like they're going to have the two exhibition games. And I imagine just the flyers and just about every other team is going to play each of their goaltenders. Um, in that, maybe even go beyond that, maybe even go three and split a game in half or go, you know, a period each in every game. I'm not sure. Um, but because you want to want to get those guys in. Uh, but but it's a, a unique position because sometimes goaltenders are, are notoriously slow starters in a season to catch a rhythm. Um, is, is, is this something that we should worry about with uh, Brian Elliott and uh, Carter Hart? Or is this something and do you see, you know, kind of a team using two goalies, not, you know, one goalie is going to win all 16 games that wins the cup. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think every team is in that boat to some degree, actually some weeks ago. Um, I asked Elaine Vigneault about that, you know, would it be looking back, you know, to a situation where, okay, you're going to, you know, cause his plan going into the season was to give both goalies a lot of work during the season, you know, one, maybe, maybe one guy more than the other, which has been the case with Carter Hart getting the, majority of the starts but then by the playoffs he was going to go with one guy i asked him you know by necessity does that plan change and he didn't want to you know and understandably so commit to it at that point because he didn't know you know he didn't know there was going to be the three round robin games and then heading into the postseason i think you almost have to do that to some degree jason because you have to have two goalies that have seen some reps that are ready to go in you know, and as you said, it can take a goalie, it can take a team, but it, it, goalies in particular, it takes a while to get them into a rhythm. And even guys who go on to win Vezina trophies, you know, sometimes have a, a slow October, you know, and they, they hit their stride as the season goes along. Um, you know, season to season, there, there are some goalies, you know, that have tendencies to be faster starters or, or first half, you know, better second half than first half, rather. Um, you know, they're really there's no, there's no time for that. Everybody's gone. Yeah. You, know, you, you have to hit the ground running. So I, I do think that, uh, you know, I do think you're going to see, you know, you're, you're going to see probably a, uh, a little bit more of a rotation, um, you know, maybe early on where both goalies see, see is, you know, certainly over those three games, I don't think you're going to see one goalie get all three. Uh, you might even see, as you said, in, in the first game, you might see each goalie go, each goalie go 30 minutes. And also, don't forget, you know, you have to have a, a third goalie ready just in case of an injury. You don't, you don't have the yep. American League as an option. So it'll, it'll probably be Alex Lyon for, for the Flyers as the third guy. But the Flyers are, Flyers are playing for seeding as well as, you know, I mean, like they're in a no-lose situation where they can't move down any going but in. But they'd love to move up. <laughs> but love to move up, right. So, you know, I, I would think that, uh, you know, maybe maybe Carter Hart gets two starts and, you know, Elliot gets one, and I don't know how they're going to work in Alex Lyon, but he should. He, they should certainly make sure he gets you know a lot of reps and practicing in camp, just because you know you might need him. Somebody goes down, then all of a sudden he's an injury away from getting into a game, possibly. So, you know, it's um, I mean, uh, it, it's tough. I mean, but but the 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 positive side of it for the Flyers again is that every team is in the same boat, and uh, you know it's not an ideal situation for for anybody, particularly with teams with some older vets. So, you know, I, I think a guy like a like an Elliot who's had some injuries in the past, that's healthy now, or, or other goalies who've, you know, dealt with some physical issues. You know, I, I think it's something that every team is going to have to keep an eye on, and I think it's one of those X factors that that every team is going to have to look at. You know, at least at least early on, at least in the games to get into the first round of the playoffs, and then probably in in the first round itself. But by the second round, you should, you know, be pretty much going with the same guy every game. And the, the other variable here too is, is without travel, and if they do decide to do back to back games on days so they could end up playing three games in four days do you 
if if that's in your schedule in that middle game, do you use your second goalie in a best of seven series? It's it's intriguing. Um, but the other element of that, it, just so people know real quick, with the position, um, the goalie doesn't dictate. Goalie reacts, right? So he's reacting to his surroundings. Um, so when you are not in the rhythm of playing and you haven't been playing for three months, um, to to compensate for that as a player, you dictate, right? But as a goalie, you're reacting, and it's all about reading and comfortability and the rhythm. And to not have played that long and then get thrown into the the Stanley Cup playoffs is is it's very daunting for a goalie. You already feel like you don't have control at that position, which is I've always contested why so many goalies end up being OCD in their lives because they control everything else. Um, but that's one element of it. But Bill, do you, do you have to consider? In a seven-game series, if you have a back-to-back, maybe using both guys, I, I think you have to. And then let's say, let's say you have a, a back-to-back, and um, you know you haven't played that many games yet, and you know you have a double overtime game, and you're playing again, playing again the next day, or you're oh, you have three. Yeah. You know, you, you pretty much have you pretty much have to roll with your other goalie to start the next game. I would think. Yeah, no doubt about it. Could you imagine that, like a triple overtime game, and then they're playing and. You know, yeah. twenty hours. <laughs> wow, but but that could happen. There's not there's not a definitive end to these games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It goes until somebody scores. That's a great point. Um, when you look at the situation for the Flyers, though, they're in a good position. You know, you look at some of the teams that are in this 2014 playoff field. Bill, you look at a team like the Rangers, and Henrik Lundqvist has played 127 straight playoff games for the Rangers. Did they go with the youngster Shesterkin and that 10 and two record and the 9.37 save percentage? Or do they go to Henrik Lundqvist? Do you, if you're in Nashville, do you go Pekarene, who's had a really erratic year, or you see Soros? You know, there, there's a lot of questions for some of these teams. It's pretty definitive that the Flyers' number one guy, though, is Carter Hart, right? I would, I would absolutely think so. I mean, it was, it was everything was heading towards Carter Hart being the every game starter as they got, you know, down down the stretch, and um, you know, then maybe Elliot would would see a couple games after uh, you know, after a spot was locked in. But I think Carter was going to be the guy in the postseason, and then they were going to sink or swim with him. And I, and I still think they'll get back to that point. You know, if there's a must win game, I think Carter gets the nod. But um, you know, but uh, Elliot is still in the mix here. I, again, I think he'll see some playing time. But I think if you had to name a number one today, I, I think it's Carter Hart. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about the, that roster real quick because we know it's going to be expanded. You mentioned that you know you can't just go down to your AHL team who's practicing or playing in the playoffs and pluck a guy and bring him up. Um, that's not going to be the case. You're going to have an expanded roster. Um, we'll see exact the exact size of that eventually. Um, but is 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 a guy like Joel Farabee on your game one roster come that best of seven series and or that round robin, or are you kind of looking at some combinations in that round robin to determine what you're going to do in round number one of the Stanley cup playoffs. Yeah. I, I think it'll, it will depend on matchups. You know, I, I would like to see Farabee in the starting 12, if they can work it out that way. Um, you know, I, I think that he has a good chance, a pretty good chance of getting into the lineup and, you know, we'll see, you know, he, he did go down briefly to the Phantoms after the, uh, you know, after the uh, trade deadline. But I mean, I, I think Farabee had a solid enough season where you know he he certainly is in the mix for the starting twelve. I think the other guys who will be uh, part of the expanded roster, the Connor Bonhamins, the Mark Friedmans, maybe Morgan Frost, they they would come in in the event of injuries. But uh, I think Farabee being being you know an X factor to uh, you know potentially be in the lineup. I mean, he he did get in a lot of games this season, so you know I, I think he's I think he's in that mix hockey IQ of a guy like Farabee and you saw that in Elaine Vino's usage of him at times in one goal games late in third periods on the ice his responsibility and his hockey IQ so high he knows the situation knows how to lock it down when you need to and also offensively always seems to know where to go yeah and that that's that uh the as you mentioned like the play play without the puck that's uh that's such a huge part of getting into a, a playoff lineup where you know, it's uh, if you can't be trusted to play 200 feet of the ice, you 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 know, very good chances you won't be in the lineup unless you're you just score at such a high clip that they can't keep you out. But I mean, that's not the case for most players. The number one reason why Farabee spent most of the season in the NHL is how mature he is as a as a 200 foot player, and and it's why uh, it's why Vino had faith in him in close games late, and 
you know, particularly when he was going well, that he just, you know, he was part of the regular line rotation. So I, I do think that that's, uh, that works to his benefit as being uh, a candidate to be in the starting lineup for the playoffs once they start. Yeah, you and I have talked about this too. Every player that you talk to and that I've talked to, especially over this pause, has cited the same thing. Elaine Vigneault and the way he runs a bench <laughs> is something that the players, the coaches, everybody marvels at. It's just that's such feel in the way he handles it. Real quick, Bill, um, in talking with Brent Flair, I wanted to hit you on a couple of the prospects. And um, you know, Do you ever recall a time, uh, you've been covering this team a long time, um, you know its history better than anyone. Um, do you recall a time where They've had prospects hit that are in the NHL right now and still young players and still so much coming on the way. No, I mean, I, I mean, I remember sometimes when, you know, if you like, if you look at that Phantoms team that uh, actually was yesterday was the anniversary, the one they, they won the Calder cup during the NHL lockout season, there were all kinds of really good prospects on that team at that time. Yeah. You Carter know, and Richards. Yeah. Richard Umberger, Patrick Sharp, Dennis Seidenberg, Pitkinen. You know, a, a lot of really good good hockey players on that team. But down below that level, you know, that, that everybody was moving up to the pro level at that time. And, you know, right now, with the number of guys that are, that are turning pro, uh, we mentioned Morgan Frost being, he'll be a second-year pro next year, has, has a lot of upside to him. And then guys that still are, are playing, well, the collegiate level, you know, the, the Cam Yorks and the Bobby Brinks. I mean, this is this is about as deep as the farm system has been in, in a long, long time. So that's something that that bodes very well, and I think it's the deepest it's been in. You know, maybe you know, I dare say going going back to the '80s when they had uh, you know they had such a deep system and a young team, but they had a they had a really good pipeline of players coming up too. Uh, from a from a top to bottom outlook of the farm system, it's it's. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a very promising thing because, like I said, it, it is it is one of the deeper systems around the league for sure. Yeah, and the other part of it, they seem to have a nice stagger on the players according to needs as they will arise, either by guys um, coming up to unrestricted free agent status, guys like Tyler Pitlick or Justin Braun, or guys that are you know getting up there in years that you're going to have to replace. Um, the other guy I wanted to ask you about though, and his story is really interesting. It's Jay O'Brien. Um, I mean, the numbers that he put up playing at Thayer were just spectacular. Um, and then the Flyers draft him in the first round, and he obviously goes to Providence and d- just didn't have a great year, never felt comfortable, went back to the BCHL this past season, and is going to be uh, going back to college coming up in the fall. Um, but what we'll, we'll if Flyers fans have to look forward in Jay O'Brien? And, you know, he's kind of off their radar in a lot of ways for a lot of people. But w- where are you on Jay O'Brien right now? Well, you know, I mean, I heard some great things about Jay O'Brien before the Flyers drafted him. It did not, I mean, it did not shock me that that he ended up being a first-round pick, although a lot of teams had him in the second-round range, at least, you know, the national publications had him in that range. But there were there were some inklings that some teams had him up around the first round. He was a, you know, he was a, a high-risk, high-reward pick as a guy who, as you said, who played at Thayer Academy. So, you know, which is where... Jeremy Roenick went and where Tony Monte, who actually coached um, Jay at Thayer, went as well. Uh, you know, they have that uh, World Junior Summer Showcase, and uh, O'Brien looked really good there, too. And then he had some injury issues at Providence. As you said, he was, wasn't comfortable with, with his coach. He never got any kind of a role. It took him a long time to get on the score sheet at all. He barely played at the, the World Juniors. Um, and this year, this year, as you said, he went to the BCHL, uh, really by NCAA rules. Because when you're in their transfer protocol, um, you have to you you have to play in an amateur league to retain that that year of eligibility. So he'll he'll still be technically a collegiate sophomore, even though you know even though his freshman year was a was a year ago. Um, he has a lot of speed. He has uh, you know he, he plays a a very confident style of hockey he's um you know a high energy player when he's going well and and again he has a high skill level so he's still he's still an x-factor guy because he didn't do very much as you know his freshman year he still hasn't played a very against a very high grade of competition on them you know and, and shown any sustained success except unless you count that world junior showcase so you know he's he's a little bit he's a little bit older even though that was his even though even though his draft year was 2018 um 
he was one of those what they call late birth year players. So yeah, he, November fourth, right? So he so he turned so he turned nineteen early that season, then twenty this past season, which is why he wasn't eligible for another World Junior. So he's he's almost a year older, or at least ten months older than you know some of the younger players in his draft class, which can work against the player and just in terms of where he's rated against others in his draft class, just because you expect him to be a little bit ahead. So I think. I think right now he's a little bit behind the curve. Hopefully he, hopefully this year he settles in. I still think he has NHL caliber talent, and I still think he could be a, a middle six forward, even though he's not on anybody's radar. But he's also there's also a risk factor. I mean he's not a he's not a slam dunk by any means. He, nobody could look at you know what he did, did his his freshman year at Providence say okay he's he's on a good track here. He needed to take a step back to hopefully take two steps forward. And I think he's he's a player worth keeping an eye on to see, you know, what he does this year. He he dominated uh, a, in a league where he should have dominated. So I yeah. don't put too much stock in those BCHL numbers. But I, I I'm certainly not ready to write him off at this point. I think he's a guy who still has upside. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to watch his development as he heads back to the collegiate ranks. Um, last guy I want to ask you about, Bill, is uh, Wyatt Kalinuk. Um, we know that Tony Garano said a couple weeks ago he was turning pro, leaving the uh, program in Wisconsin. Flyers drafted him 196 overall back in 2017. Uh, defenseman, big guy, um, but he hasn't signed with the Flyers yet. And he's got a period of time when he can he, – because he was drafted at 20 – He's got a 30-day uh, waiting period, and if he decides to do that, he can get hit the free agent market. Is Wyatt Kalinuk looking at the situation here in Philadelphia and going, boy, that's a crowded blue line already. More guys coming. Maybe that's just not the place for me to, to crack into the NHL and to, to go pro. That's certainly, that certainly is you know potentially the case. Um, I know the organization would like to sign him. Um, you know, he uh, He's a player who might be able to and, – and, you know, in relatively quick order because he's a little bit older. Find an NHL opportunity. You know, you know, you, ne- you never know what can happen. If he goes to the goes to the Phantoms, which would most likely be his first destination, and he just you know plays lights out there and racks up a bunch of points because he's always been a you know a kind of an offensive minded defenseman. You know, and then all of a sudden there's an opportunity in the NHL roster. Things things could change in a hurry. But there there are teams out there that. Uh, you know, could use a player of his skill set, and then the NHL opportunity might come a little bit sooner. I mean, that's up to that's up to Wyatt himself and to the opportunity that's there. There's a little bit of wiggle room in terms of how bonuses are structured, but uh, you know, the way that the way the NHL CBA works is that the uh, is that the base salary on the entry level deal, which will only be a one year deal, and then it'll be a restricted free agent in the following summer. But the base salary is going to be the same wherever he goes because it caps. Um, so it's really, it's really just a matter of, okay, you know, is the bonus structure something that's his agents liking and, and by extension to him and the opportunity. And I mean, all the flyers can do is make their best pitch and, you know, hopefully, hopefully he signs. Cause he's a, you know, he, he's a good prospect. He had, definitely has pretty good wheels. He's, um, guy who's been a, a power play guy, um, from throughout his collegiate career, at Wisconsin, a little bit of a late bloomer. He's gotten he's improved each and every year he's improved. He's not a, you know, he's not a shutdown defenseman. He'll probably never be a shutdown defenseman, but he's not a liability either. He's gotten, he's gotten a lot better uh, without the puck. So, you know, that's, that's a player who I think is, is an intriguing guy. He's not, uh, he's not the best. I I wouldn't rate him as the best defenseman in the system. That's, that's Cam York long-term, but Kalinic would be a a real nice feather in their cap if they they can get him signed. And then you have a, you know, a nice, interesting group of defensemen coming. You have Hogberg coming in, and and you have mm-hmm. Wiley too. And you know, before York even turns pro, so you know he he'd have a year where there'd be a lot of eyes on him with with the Phantoms, and again, potential opportunity with the Flyers. You never know, but you know, ultimately, it's his call to make. And you can never have enough defensemen either on your team or in your system because. Um, people are always looking for good defensemen. <laughs> they really are. They're great currency as well. If you have, if you're really happy with your top six or seven, um, and obviously he could be a part of that. Hey, Bill, this was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Everything is getting real now. This game is going to be back on the ice. We're going to be recapping games before we know it. In the meantime, though, uh, we'll keep counting down. That's what we've been doing. We know where we're counting down to now, which is probably the best news of all today. It's, it's a way to get your weekend started early with a little definitive timeline. 
So we appreciate you joining us here on Flyers Day. Which is brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter, at Yingling Beer. That's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily for your Friday, June 12th. Everybody have a great, safe, happy weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday as the countdown to Phase 3 and NHL training camps on July 10th is underway. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday on Flyers Daily.